Welcome to Empowered Owners, the podcast that takes you inside Empowered Ventures. I'm your host, Chris Fredericks. In each episode, I'll have a discussion with one of our employees to discover and highlight their distinct personalities, perspectives, and skills, while also keeping you in the loop with exclusive news, updates on company performance, and a glimpse into the future plans of Empowered Ventures. This is an opportunity for me to learn more about our amazing employee owners and an opportunity for you to hear regularly from me and others from within Empowered Ventures. On this episode of Empowered Owners, I'm talking with Michaela Simmers, a machinist at First Star Precision Corp, a precision machine shop near Cleveland, Ohio, that EV acquired in April 2021 and was EV's first diversifying acquisition. As you'll hear, Michaela is extremely smart and engaging, and as a woman in a predominantly male field, she shares some compelling thoughts and insights, as well as a thorough dive into what a machine shop actually does. I will also be joined by EV's Chief of Staff, Emily Bope, at the end of the episode to debrief my discussion with Michaela and talk about EV's Board of Directors and what a board does. Michaela officially joined First Star in May 2022 after a brief stint as an intern. She came to First Star after completing the Precision Machining Technology Program at the Medina County Career Center. She chose the precision machining field after being encouraged by First Star's founder, David Tenney, after they met in a mock interview meeting. She was the first woman in six years to go through that program. Michaela works in First Star's milling, turning, grinding, and finishing departments, which she prefers rather than specializing. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hi, Michaela. Welcome to Empowered Owners. Um, I'm so excited to chat with you and really appreciate you taking the time to do this. I understand that you joined First Star a little over a year ago, and I'm really curious just to start like how your first year or so with First Star has gone. Actually, really good in my opinion, a lot better than a lot of the machine shops I've seen and toured. I get firsthand experience on most of the machines I really wanted to get firsthand experience on. It's pretty cool that they give us the opportunity to like pick what we want to do. Yeah, that's awesome. So I'm really curious, how did you find your way into the machining industry? It's actually a crazy story. I, I met Dave Tenney like ninth grade year for a fake interview during school. And I kind of nailed it, I like to say. And two years later, he convinced me what machining was because I kind of like building things and putting things together and making something into something. So he definitely steered me into like the career center's machine shop. And I just fell in love with it like the first year. That's awesome. So that was ninth grade. So it was like a high school program where you got to meet Dave Tenney and he was, he's the president of First Star. So that's really cool. Yeah, it was actually pretty cool. Before that, you said you liked taking things apart, putting them back together. Was that something you grew up always doing? Like, was that an interest of yours? Yeah, it's like me and my dad used to do car parts together, put stuff together all the time. So like, I kind of fell in love with turning into something into like you actually build something into something. Like I did a couple vice grips and stuff like in school that I built my own, designed my own. So kind of like fell in love with it from there. 
on. That's so cool. That's great. So it sounds like that time with your dad was really important and kind of led to to where you are today. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Like he helped me become the woman I am, and I like to say, yeah, it's helped me a long way with especially with this machine class and our machine shop and everything like that. Very interesting. Did your dad also have a similar job or? No, he did more like construction, but I didn't really want to build houses. I kind of like the material difference in what we do, how we go from brass, copper, to aluminum to anything while construction really doesn't do that as much. So I got to taste what construction was the first year, but I didn't really fall in love with it. Like I fell in love with machining. Hmm. Did, did you grow up in the area where First Star is now in Medina County? Yeah, I actually live right down the street. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, that's that's convenient. Yeah. <laughs> I think you might be the perfect person to like educate me a little bit on what a machine shop even is. So if we take like a step back for people that don't even know, like how would you describe what a machine shop is? What we do is basically take material like bars, blocks that were just cut off of a machine that had material that we needed a certain size, a certain depth. And so we kind of go step by step. Each machine does its own step. Like laves do mostly holes. I want to say finish turns, all that kind of stuff actually takes it to the diameter that we need while like our laves and wire cut stuff like our holes are what we need to actually be a cylinder and stuff like that. I like to say like it's turning nothing into something. So you have a normal block that has nothing to do with what we're doing. And we by the end of it, it should look like what the print looks like and everything. It really depends on what machine you're working on. Like you got the shaper that actually makes the gears while mills and laves cut and actually form the shape of the piece and everything like that. Well, the shaper doesn't do that. It does the finer things like it needs a gear at the top of it or it needs a gear in the middle of it. That's what, what the shaper would do. Well, like our laves and mill actually do all the work, carve it out, everything to the last couple steps like a mill can't do or a lathe can't do. So it depends on what kind of piece we're talking about, but it could have, I've seen almost a hundred operations on one job because it has so much stuff. It has so much inspections we had to go over and everything like that. So it really depends on what we do. Cause like first star, for example, doesn't work on the exact same pieces. Every time we work on very similar pieces, they might look the same, but not everything was the same from the last job. So we would have to change the tools, change the position, change the machine that we were running at the time. It just really depends. I've learned, especially with First Star, we can't say everything we run is the same because it's not, because it's a little different or it's a huge difference. Fascinating. Wow. So these machines, generally they're considered CNC machines, correct? I mean, we're already getting into territory where I don't understand. Oh yeah. All these machines are computer operated. That's what basically CNC means where we would tell the machine where our zero is on X, Y, Z, B, A, any, what other axis it has. 
and then tell the machine, hey, this is where our piece is. This is where you need to cut and not over here and somewhere other in the open that the piece is not even going to get touched. So we don't slam it into something. I like to say how the machine runs, it's like a picture. It goes to point to point and it kind of makes the picture of your piece and it kind of makes sense. So you're essentially using multiple different types of machines. Like you mentioned a shaper. Well, you wouldn't start with a shaper. You would end with a shaper. We have a bandsaw. That's what cuts all our material to the size that we need or mm -hmm. that it calls out. Then it goes to the lathes usually, or the mills first. It depends on what it's doing, but usually it goes to the lathes and then mills. And then like either the shaper or the EDM, the wires, because both machines kind of do the similar things and like kind of just does more of the finer t touches to the piece. Fascinating. So yeah, it's going from this block all the way down, smaller, smaller, smaller. Until, more, it, until it's like a final... Mm-hmm. Diameter that what the customer wants and everything. And then each, like if it's a brand new piece, we stay in contact with the customer on each step of the way so they know what we're doing. If we can't do a certain way, we will find another way to do it so they can get what they want. We like to satisfy our customer any way possible because that's what we do. That's what we're known for. To some degree someone could hear this and almost think, oh, this sounds like it could be almost like automated. Like you, you wouldn't need people involved. It's just machines doing machine stuff. But I know that's not true. So why is it so difficult actually to be like a great machinist? What makes this a challenging and interesting job essentially? Prime example, we have a robot that runs one specific piece in all day long. I like to say to make a good machinist because it's hard to be the greatest because it's very hard to know everything and that's what you have to do there's no way to know everything unless you live thousands upon thousands of years there's just way too much information i like to do is i learned everything from top to bottom what every word is the definition is so i know off the top of the head what they're talking about i don't have to look it up in my book anymore or anything like that I like to ask questions. A lot of people don't, but if you ask questions, it helps you later on once you get back to a similar piece like that. You already know what to do, and now you're just basically fine-tipping it where, oh, I really don't know how to adjust this, or I don't know how to do this. Our robot runs 24-7. We have a guy that only changed out tools when all the tools are broken. So... Yes, basically all our machines run by themselves, but like what we do is tell the machine where it's cutting, how it's cutting it, how fast it's cutting, how fast it's feeding into the piece. Because if we don't tell them that, I'll just keep on breaking pieces or destroy the piece or weld it to the piece and stuff like that. We can't make a good piece out of it. So yes, theoretically, all our machines could run all by themselves as long as they're programmed to the right way. And without having the program or a machinist, you can't do anything. Yeah. So it's a machine, but it, it needs to be set up properly. And that setup process is, I gather, a big part of what you do is make sure, like, it probably takes a lot of work to figure out how to set it up just right so that these teeny tiny 
ultimately parts that are high precision are consistently produced at the same specs without breaking anything and and all that kind of stuff yeah and we're not wasting company time where we're like checking the piece while the machine's not running we like to run the machine check the piece and if we have to make an adjustment we can stop the machine make the adjustment or wait till the next piece but yeah i like to say theoretically like our wires run all by themselves for three hours most three hours of the day every day and what we do is just tell it point a point b point c just go do it and it's done and it won't change it until you have another machinist say, hey, I have a new piece. This is what you're going to do now. Not that anymore. Hmm. Do you have a favorite machine or like step in the process that's like your, the part that you enjoy the most? Or is it you just like it all? For me, uh, I'm like one of the only people or not like I don't want to say only people, but I'm one of the only persons that actually go from laves, mills, grinding, shapers, sandblasting and everything and i like the mills and lays because they actually do more work it challenges you more like you have to think about it more before you actually just run in do it interesting what is it about the lathe and the cnc mill that requires so much careful attention like i said they do more stuff like our laves have six axes all together but we only use three of them so for say, if we just came from operation where we're only using three of the axes and now this new operation uses all six, we had to tell the machine, hey, this is all the axes we're using now. It has to program it. It's more touchy, I like to say. If you just run it as is, you, there's a lot of factors that could be like, hey, this is, you could crash it, you can damage the tool. It could go a completely opposite way or it could be, this while our shaper and wires really don't have that it's more like it's going to go feed right into it you watch it you know it's not going to be as touchy it's not going to hit anything while our laves and mills are a lot bigger they move a lot more differently they move faster so when we go to slow it down we have to slow it down very very slowly so we can actually watch it because if we don't really watch it we don't know what's happening inside the machine and we like to know what's happening, especially on our first piece. So after 300 pieces, we know this is how it's going to run every time. Got it. So thinking through kind of the rest of the job. So once you've got it set up just right and it starts to run, does it become essentially a, an observation kind of thing where you keep an eye on it and maybe even with one or two machines at the same time? Or like, how does the rest of the job go? Yeah, usually after we turn in inspection and get our green tag, people saying, yeah, this piece is good to go. This is what meets all the print. What we do is kind of run it again, check everything like we did our very first piece, and then continuously run it. We do not stop running it unless you like bathroom, you know, lunch, all that kind of stuff. But other than that, we do not stop running. So the machine stays within relatively the same area. So it's not really hard to keep it in the same area. It's more like when we leave for the day and come back, that's when most of our machines or some of our machines, we take it back some and then draw it back in. By the time the machine's all warmed up, we know it's not going to drop on us 
or it's not going to cut way more than what we want it to cut or break a tool because it's too much pressure on it. We already know I can leave this machine, go run another machine and still have that run running because you know it's going to stay the same Hmm. at all tight. Very cool. Thank you for educating me on both the kind of the industry as a whole and also what makes First Star unique a little bit too. Maybe pivoting a little bit, you mentioned earlier, you know, being a woman in this field. I'm curious, it is kind of maybe a male dominated field traditionally. Yeah, like I was told in school, it's only 25% of women in my type of field. So it's, I like to say it's maybe one or two actually machinist girls that actually run stuff out of like a hundred or 200 because it's very uncommon for women to be in this field. I like to say it's a heavy, heavy, heavy male dominated field and it doesn't not bother me at all. (laughs) You know, I'm a tomboy. I like to get all dirty. So these boys don't do anything to me. I like challenging myself just as much as they do. There's no difference. I like being young and as a female to show that I know what I'm doing and I I have the confidence behind it and everything like that. Wow. That's amazing. That's so cool. When you first started getting interested in this and you learned about those statistics, it didn't scare you off at all? No. It actually drove me more into it. It makes me want to show them, yes, I can do it better or as much good as the rest of them. And don't matter the gender to me. Impressive. Do you think it's concerning that there's so few women in the field? I like to say I would love to have more women. For example, I'm the only actual woman or girl besides one other girl that actually runs machines here. I would like to have more girls in the field because it would show that we're not here to like just come in and just show around and come out. Like we're here to stay permanently and everything like that. I hope in like 10, 15 years that that will change, that the odds will start evening out. Like I was the very first girl in the career center in six years to take machining class. And then the year I graduated, there was 10 girls that signed up because of me. So I hope if I make a difference and show women that it's not what you think it is, that maybe more women will come out and do it. That's awesome. So you said 10 people went into the program, 10 women because of you, essentially. How did, how did that come about? They, our career center does touring to all the schools in Medina County. So all the eighth graders, all the ninth graders, all the 10th graders, I got this personally wanted to sit down with the groups and tell them and all the girls that it's not what you think. Yes, I'm the only girl, but you can dominate them as much as they dominate you. It does not matter. You shouldn't be scared just because there's more guys in the field than you. Fantastic. Thank you for sharing. That is so cool and, and quite inspiring. It seems really good too for the machining industry, other industries that are similar that kind of have traditionally been male dominated, there's kind of a challenge finding enough labor for a lot of companies like this. So it makes a lot of sense that, you know, why not, you know, start to look at at women since it's clearly something that for the right people could be a really fulfilling and interesting career. So it makes me feel a little more optimistic, I guess, that 
maybe there's a whole other way to kind of find great people to join companies like First Star in the future? It depends on what they were looking for. Like for me, I toured 10 different places before I actually sat down with Four Star and everything like that. It was more because I wanted to be viewed as a person and not a number that I have a choice. And if something I don't like, or I'm tired of running the same machine over and over and over again, I have the choice of going to my boss and being, hey, I get it. We're busy here, but I'm kind of getting worn out. I would like to switch with someone else. And if someone else wants what I do, we usually switch. Gives you more opportunity to learn more new machines. Like when we got a robot, that was a whole new game for all of us. The new ones to our oldest machinists because we've never seen something like this. So with all of us learning something new about that machine, it kind of drove us all together. It's like, we can do it. We could ball all our minds together and we could do it together. That's great. Yeah. That makes me think about, as I was wondering about this, this job and like what makes it so interesting, seems like solving puzzles is part of it. Yeah. I like to say it's a mystery every day. You don't know what you're going to get yourself into. Some days it's a chill breeze day. And some days it's like you hit stumps every hour and it's like, okay, I got to take a step back and actually readjust how to figure it out. And I like that because it's very hard for a lot of different fields to hit all those challenges all at once, like a machine shop does. Wonderful. I understand you wear cowboy boots to work. Is that correct? Yeah. <laughs> well, I need to know what's the story. Why cowboy boots? I don't know. Honestly, I it's just like, that's my thing. I'm a more cowgirl than anything. So I always have worn cowboy boots. <laughs> that's great. What advice do you have for people, young people, anybody that's kind of trying to figure out what they want to do and find something they love doing? I like to say, take as much opportunities as you can. Like for example, the career center gives you two years in high school or as an adult, as night schools and stuff like that. You can pay like $600 to go to school and say the first year you thought you would like machining and you didn't quite like it, and then you want to go try a different field that they offer, they give you the choice to say, hey, yeah, we understand you don't like that. So go try this before you don't know what you want to do. I like to say if something like building something or putting something together, if that dries you, try to find something that falls into it so much because you don't want to go to a job that you don't want to go to every day. Cause like for me, I love my job. I love going to work at 5.30 AM every day. I put a smile on my face cause I enjoy what I do on a day-to-day -day basics. So I have no worries about me getting tired of it one day. So I like to say, if you really like something, try to find it. Like I tell my cousins all the time, try to find what you really enjoy in life and then hold on to it as much as you can. Michaela, you really are inspiring. Thank you for coming on and being a guest on Empowered Owners. Welcome back. In each episode of Empowered Owners, we bring our featured guest back for a short and hopefully fun segment. This time we have five questions to get to know Michaela Simmers a little bit more. So you have the choice between East Coast, West Coast, or neither. What sounds most appealing. West Coast. Got it. Okay. Next one. 
Wheel of Fortune, Jeopardy, or neither? Neither. <laughs> <laughs> Not a big fan of game shows? Oh, no, I suck. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Next question. Chicken, beef, or neither? Chicken, 100%. <laughs> okay. Fourth question. Water skiing, snow skiing, or neither? Snow skiing. Okay. Yeah. You like snow skiing? No, I have always wanted to do it, though. My yeah. parents are a little, no. I think you should. I think you should learn how to snow ski. All right. Last question. Silly question. Sorry to put you through these. Being a guest on a podcast, doing karaoke, or neither? Podcast, 100%. <laughs> oh, that's great. All right, Michaela, those were all awesome answers. I do feel like I know you a little bit better after hearing those answers. Thank you again for coming on Empower Donors. No problem. Thank you for having me. Coming up next, Empower Ventures Chief of Staff Emily Bope will join me for a quick debrief on my discussion with Michaela. Hi, Emily. How are you? Doing great. And that was so fun to listen to. Oh my goodness. What did you think of your time with Michaela? I'm overwhelmingly like excited about that conversation. She's amazing. Not just impressive, but just a really neat person in addition to being very, very impressive too. You know, if I could think of one word to describe her, I would say genuine. There is something just like through and through purely genuine about her. I think of how many kids in high school pick up all of the social cues of what they're supposed to do, what they're supposed to like, how they're supposed to be. And I just got the sense that for some reason or other, she was true to herself from the very beginning. She's just genuinely, you know, this is what I love. Even her advice to her cousins, find what you love to do and then hold on to it. Oh my goodness, how many of us had the confidence, you know, to make that kind of decision for ourselves? Yeah, I'm with you. Totally inspired. Yeah. Yeah, she's so strikingly comfortable being herself and the way that impacted already at least 10, you know, other women to choose to go into that program. I envision a very bright future for her. She's like a natural born leader too. You know, I had that same thought. I thought, oh my goodness, she's young and she's new, you know, to this industry, but it's not going to take long before she's really having an influence in a lot of major ways. She is, she's just, she's not even trying, but she's naturally influencing. I guess that's, that's the, what I love about that. And taking a little broader is, you know, they say leadership at its best is just, is influence. And it's everyone, especially in an employee owned company is, uh, part of that is has the opportunity to lead through influence. And I think she's just a shining example of what I would hope, you know, everyone can aspire to. Yeah. So huge thank you to Michaela. You're an inspiration to all of us. <laughs> so yeah, other than that, one of the questions I get the most, I would say, from our employee owners is what a board is. Like we have a board of directors and most corporations do, but it's, it's kind of a black box part of a lot of businesses is like, well, what is a board? Who are they? What do they do? And I get that question a fair amount. So I thought it might be good if we spend a little time on that, since we recently had our annual board meeting where our board came together with some of our leadership teams and 
kind of recap the year. So I, th- I thought that might be a really interesting topic. Well, I'm going to kind of turn that around and ask you some questions so that you can educate us. I think that is an awesome topic. You know, you just threw out annual board meetings. So question number one, how often does the board meet with us? Yeah, quarterly. So our board will get together quarterly and review the results of the previous quarter. And then once a year, we have what we call the annual board meeting, which is one of the quarterly meetings, but it's a little more robust. It's to review the full year that just ended for us, which is March 31. So that's why we fairly recently had our annual meeting. So four times a year, our board gets together. And so as with everything, when we talk about Empowered Ventures, there's the way that businesses that are not employee-owned typically do things. And then there's the way that an employee-owned holding company that we are does things. So so I'm wondering if you could just describe for people who don't know what a board of directors is or does, you know, what is it normally in what we call a privately held company? In other words, a company that isn't traded on the stock exchange, but it's just owned by a person or a few people. You know, what is a, a board of directors normally? Like, how does it get made? What does it do? And then how is that different or the same for us since we're employee owned? I think that's a great, great question. So the short version, high level reason or explanation of what a board is in states, state law to form a business, there are different ways you can form a business. One of the ways is called a corporation, which I think is a word everybody's heard of other forms that are different than a corporation would be like an LLC, which many people will have heard as well. So a corporation is a very particular kind of legal structure of a business that has a long history. It goes like centuries back and each state has their own rules around like how a corporation functions from a legal perspective. And it's pretty much enshrined in the law of every state that a board of directors is essentially the governance function for that corporation. So no matter what, if you have a corporation, a privately owned corporation, publicly traded companies are also corporations, a board has to be named to your point about a privately owned company. So a typical family owned business or an individual founder, if they use the corporation structure, they have to have a board. For many of those companies, the board will be the owners. So let's say you have a family, three people, they own the company equally. It'd be very common for them to just say, well, we're the board of directors also, since we own the company. So the board in that sense doesn't have a very important function. It's fulfilling like essentially the legal requirement, but it doesn't really do much else other than formalize, meet that requirement. For us as an employee owned company, we are a corporation. So we have to have a board of directors. That board of directors is responsible to oversee our business, essentially. they Their primary job ultimately is to hire the CEO to run the company. That's kind of how most boards view fulfilling their role. It's not the only thing they do, but it's one of the primary things they do because a board does not run the company. They are not involved in the day-to-day business. So in an employee-owned situation like ours, and for many employee-owned companies, we choose to take advantage of having a board of directors to bring in some outsiders who essentially they are paid, not highly paid. They're not full-time employees, but they're paid to 
be on our board and bring their professional skill set to kind of overseeing our business. And that's kind of a best practice we consider to have outside people involved because it provides an extra layer of oversight to what we're doing. And it really shows how serious we take this responsibility or being employee owned and having accountability for the leadership team ultimately. That is super helpful. Thank you for laying it out. So you said that one of their primary jobs is to hire the CEO. <laughs> so in effect, they're your bosses. Correct. Uh, and that you answer to them and, and they hold you accountable. I also just have this sandwich picture in my head of, of Empowered Ventures, us as a company, like who we serve, who we're here for, who we're all about, who are we accountable to? And if you think of it in this, as a sandwich and we're in the middle, we're really accountable to all of our employee owners because in our case, the owners are all of us. So we're accountable. Every decision we make, the way that we're shaping this family of businesses, it's for the good of all of our employee owners. But on the other hand, if that's one side of the sandwich, then the other side of the sandwich is, well, we have this board of directors who are using, as you said, all of their outside expertise in various ways, legal and you know the ins and outs of running an ESOP well and its financial management and all those kinds of things that they're keeping us honest at the same time because we're, we're also completely open to their scrutiny for them to see the decisions that we're making and to challenge us and to help us think maybe bigger or different. Yeah. The employee owners are ultimately what this is all about for us. And maybe next in a future episode, we can talk more about kind of the rest of our governance, which involves the ESOP trustee and what they do on behalf of all the employee owners and how that relates to the board. But yeah, they are very much involved as well in a different way. And ultimately, I agree with you. We view our responsibility very seriously as far with regards to the benefits of what we're doing, accruing to our employee owners and over time creating life-changing outcomes for all of our employee owners. So the board knows that and is fully on board with that being the mission of the org, which is a critical component of what we would look for in, in board members is that they have alignment around our vision and what we're trying to accomplish. So they're here to essentially help us accomplish that vision as well. They don't have any other kind of outside influences or, or conflicts of interest or something that they would want us to be doing something else. They are entirely here to serve the organization and help it achieve its purpose, and it's, which is what we're here to do as well. So, Yeah, that's really good to call out, you know, that they don't have any ulterior motive. <laughs> they're here for our good. So how many board members do we have? Today, we have five total board members. I am one of the board members as CEO. We have four outside board members. For ease, I would point people to our website, the About Us page on the website. They can see our current team, which includes our four outside board members, but they're all great people, highly qualified. So definitely encourage people to go check that out. Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks for shining some light on what is usually just a kind of a black box. <laughs> Nobody really knows. And, you know, if folks have any more questions about the board or want to hear more, maybe want to meet one or the other of them, maybe we can have them on the podcast, but for sure, let us know. We want to be able to answer those. 
All right. Thank you, Emily, for joining me to discuss both the board of directors stuff, but more importantly, Michaela and the incredible job she did. I hope you have a, a good rest of your day, Emily. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time. Well, that wraps up this episode of Empowered Owners. I'd like to thank Michaela Simmers and Emily Bope for joining me and first stars Ben West and Dave Smith for suggesting topics for the discussion. Remember, we want to hear from you. Please give us feedback, suggest guests and topics for future episodes, and tell us how we can keep improving the show. To reach us, send us an email at hello at empowered.ventures. That's hello at empowered.ventures. Last but not least, a big thank you to our production team at Share Your Genius. Be sure to join us next time on Empowered Owners as we explore the lives and stories of the amazing employee owners of Empowered Ventures. If you haven't already, follow our podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. Thank you for tuning in.